Welcome to the Ninja Lane Podcast. In this episode, we talk about the multi-GPU index, why it's important for enthusiast motherboards, some hardware bot tips and tricks, and our favorite webcomics. I am your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McCain. Hey, Dennis. You know, I've been out looking at building a new system, so I was out browsing the site's uh, motherboard articles, and I happened to take a look at that Rampage 3 Extreme review, and I noticed you have a pretty good section on the multi-GPU index, so I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about it. The multi-GPU index is a way for you to, well, it's another way to rate a motherboard aside from just basic performance. So as we've noticed on a lot of enthusiast-level motherboards, uh, like the Rampage 3 Extreme, there's multiple 16x PCI Express slots, you know, the full-length ones for the video card. Right. The slots and the amount of lanes that are attributed to each one of these slots is what drives the multi-GPU index. And really, this index is a single number that can be rated across any board, uh, any operating system, any chipset, any processor. So I've got a single ATI card right now. A 5870, and I've uh, looked at getting a second one. I mean, you're always looking as the prices come down, or even a third. And I always wonder when I'm looking at a motherboard, am I going to get the full performance if I add a second card? And when I add the third card, do I get an 8x, a 4x? How does that affect my performance? Is that what you're looking at? Basically, yes. The multi-GPU index it, you know, is self-describing, so it's only for multiple GPU configurations. So we're talking... Uh, AMD Crossfire or NVIDIA SLI. There's a certain amount of lanes that come out of the chipset or the processor that are dedicated to video performance. Right. You know, the the first slot on the board might be 16x at the 2.0 specification, so it's really kind of double the bandwidth from, from the original spec. Well, that might be full bandwidth for a single card. Now, when you add a second card, you know, there might be four slots on the board. Well, which slot do you use? Do you use the one next down or do you use the one third down? You know, that sort of stuff. Well, when you use one of those slots, it's going to divide some of the available PCI Express lanes from somewhere else. Sometimes they'll come out of the chipset. Sometimes they'll come out of that 16X slot that's a very that's first on the motherboard. Right, so you get two eights. I see that a lot. Yeah, you can get two eights. In some cases, you might get... Uh, 16, 8, 8, and then it'll go 4, 4. It just depends on how the manufacturer has decided to break up the lanes. Okay. Well, the multi-GPU index explores how that division is done. Okay. You know, the motherboard might support triple SLI, for instance, you know, oh. the slot lanes. The idea there, at least from EVGA, was that you could run triple SLI and then have a dedicated physics card. Nice. So that physics card would just have a single slot cooler on it. Well... Obviously, it's going to, that that last card's going to hang over the edge, so it's not going to fit into a standard case. Well, if you look at the multi-GPU index, you'll see that the way that the lanes are divided up, that slot that's for dedicated PhysX is actually a 4X PCI Express slot. So if you're running triple SLI and you're running them all compact, so it's in your case, you are running 8, 8, and 4. So that last card isn't going to get the same amount of bandwidth as all the other cards. Okay. Or give it all back to the system. So the um, turns out that that very last slot that would you would use is actually the 888. So that's how it gets divided up. Well, 1688. Okay. I think I'm following you, but let's uh, 
let's talk about how the math is done so we can see what the measure is. I looked at that Rampage 3 Extreme review, and I noticed that it got a multi-GPU index rating, or number, I guess, of 4.75. So looking at that, how how you do the math on that? How do you come up with a 4.75? Well, I'm going to have to right now say it's a little bit of special sauce. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I don't want to. I don't want to spill the beans because this is really something that I've been working on for a really long time, and okay. I really want it to be something that's specific just to Ninja Link. The multi GPU index looks at the amount of PCI Express lanes that are assigned to each one of the slots and their position on the motherboard. That's kind of the the basics for how the index is assigned. But the mapping, which is really the most important thing of the index, determines how the slots are allocated in terms of, you know, this one's 16x, and then if it gets populated, what happens to the other lanes, you know, what happens to the extra lanes as they be, um, you know, are they assigned to another slot, or they just go away, or they actually, you know, is it hardwired to 16x? In the case of the Rampage 3 Extreme, the first slot is 16x if there's a single card in the system. And then if you populate the next slot down, those two slots split 8x and 8x. That's because the those two share bandwidth. Now, if you go down to the fifth slot on the board, that is the other primary 16x slot. So to get the most bandwidth out of the system, you need to populate the first and the fifth slot with video cards. Now, in the case of ATI cards where you have a bridge that's included with your you know your video card, you are going to have to use the one that ASUS has supplied with the motherboard because there isn't really one that's going to be long enough. Now for NVIDIA SLI, it includes a triple SLI bridge because it only supports triple SLI. There's only enough bandwidth for that. So if you're going to run two cards, you can use the single bridge or you can actually use the triple bridge. Either way, it works and it will actually allow you to use the two primary slots. Since this board only supports triple SLI, you can still plug in four cards. You can just only link three of them together and then at that point the last one becomes a dedicated PhysX card or if you're using ATI cards you can actually run Quadfire or four GPUs at once. I did that and I had it hooked up. A small little tidbit is that there's a 1x slot that's buried in between these slots and that one will you know it's open in the bottom so you can technically install five video cards provided they only have a single slot cooler. It's actually kind of fun. That makes sense. So it's not all about the rating. It's more about how you distribute the bandwidth. Mm-hmm. It is. So looking at the reviews and taking your multi-GPU to a specific rating like the the Rampage review, uh, what do you expect people to, to take away from that? What's the goal? The goal would be that if you are planning to run multiple video cards, that you could look at this index rating and determine which motherboard to pick based on what you're intending to do with your system. So if you want to run a two-card SLI, if that's your intention, then you're going to want to pick one of the boards that has a pretty high GPU index rating, Mm -hmm. but is also optimized for two cards. If you're going to run three cards, or if you're going to do benchmarking, you know, contributing points to the hardware bot team, stuff like that, then you want to pick a board with, obviously, a high multi-GPU index rating, that might be optimized for more cards. And in that case, you're going to find boards that have like the NF200 chip or the Lusa Hydra chip 
or some of the new yet-to-be-seen motherboards that are just going to have more PCI Express lanes available. So looking at these boards that are coming out, are there any of them that you're uh, looking forward to getting a good index on, maybe pushing it back to that six-card level? There are several new boards coming out on the P67 platform, but it's going to be limited just like the, the Linfield line on the P55 because of 16 lanes coming out of the of the processor. Boards like the MSI Big Bang Marshall that's coming out is actually an extended ATX board that has seven, no, I believe it's eight slots. Wow, eight slots. And they're all populated with 16X, so in theory you could plug a video card in each one, but logic tells us even if you have this Lucid Hydra chip on there, you're going to be limited by whatever you can get back to the processor. So really it's going to be optimized for two cards, but you could put a whole bunch of cards on there. Yeah, well, I guess as people get more and more cards and triple and quad systems going, it gets more and more important. Games are getting more demanding, and NVIDIA has that awesome technology, the PhysX, which some people love, some people don't love, but right. they're bringing a lot of realism to games using these dedicated PhysX processors, which are extra NVIDIA cards. And with the Lucid Hydra chip, you can actually run an NVIDIA card and an ATI card. You run the ATI, ATI card as your main, and then you run your NVIDIA card as your PhysX processor. You enable That's that true. driver, and you get more out of your games. Well, something to look forward to. So I guess we'll be seeing a lot more of that multi-GPU index in the reviews. Actually, every motherboard review that I'm going to be posting from now on, going forward, that supports more than one video card, i.e. the 16X PCI Express slots, every board that has that will get a multi-GPU index, regardless if it supports SLI or Crossfire. Looking forward to seeing that multi-GPU index in the future. Well, I wanted to catch you up on the latest developments in the Ninja Lane Hardware Bot team. Okay. It turns out that we passed ASUS. Oh, we, nice. We passed the ASUS team, finally. It, uh, it was kind of touch and go there for a little bit. You know, I went and pulled out the Sandy Bridge system, started benching, submitting some scores, and we were right on the cusp. And a couple days later, the, uh, the lead guy on the ASUS team started benching and rocketed in front of us. So instead of being 10 points away, he was 80 points away. So I went and pulled out the stops, put the Sandy Bridge on the phase cooler. Okay. And racked up some points, and now we're sitting 1,700 points, solid 7th place, ranked out of all the U.S. teams. 7th place is good. Well, it, congratulations. Yeah, well, thank you. So how'd you do it? Actually, the, the thing that put us over the edge was benching the Rampage 3 Extreme using the 980X Core i7 processor. Oh, that's the same board we were just talking about. You know, after I got done with the review, it's like, well, you know, I'm going to have to bench this thing, see how, what it will do. Of course. So, set up the system, hook the 980X up onto the phase cooler, with the intention of getting a good overclock on the CPU, a good solid overclock on the CPU, which turned out to be right at 5 gigahertz, which isn't too bad. No, not bad. You know, and I tuned it for a couple of hours to make sure that I got pretty good 3D Mark scores. Mm-hmm. So... I set up the, the GTX 580s and SLI, and I started running my, my 3D benchmarks, and that's going to be your 3D Mark Vantage, your 3D Mark 06, 05, 03, and then there's also 01, which I've never had much luck with, and then an Aquamark, and the new one, which is a Heaven benchmark, which is all DirectX 11 tess- tessellation. Right. 
I ran my Vantage benchmark, and it turns out that I got a really decent score, a lot of globals. I think I was in, you know, 26 global points or something like that. Oh, okay. Started running 06, and it started to trail off a bit. I still got a fair amount of global points with that. And so I was kind of on a roll, feeling pretty good about 05 and 03. I started running 05, and I wasn't hardly on the map. You know, I was running the same same CPU clock, same GPU clocks, but the scores were, like, insanely slow, and I couldn't figure out exactly why. So I started looking at the way I had my system set up. Well, Vantage and 06 are really optimized for Windows Vista and Windows 7, whereas the older benchmarks, the 3D Mark 05 and 03 and 01, were, you know, they were released back in the day of Windows 2000, Windows XP, Windows 98 for that matter. It really seemed to be optimized to take advantage of the DirectX capabilities of that operating system during that time period. So what I think I'm going to have to do to get the most out of a modern system with all of the benchmarks is to dual boot running Windows 7, either 64 or 32-bit for the Vantage and 06 scores and then run Windows XP on the older benches. So, you know, I'll run Vantage, get my score, run 06, get my score, shut down, reboot into Windows XP, run 06 again to check the score to see if it actually increased, and then start running 05 and 03, and then 01 if I have some time. I really haven't had much luck with that. And then, of course, I could just round it out and do the the Aquamark benchmark that is actually avoided quite often because it's kind of a pain in the butt and with you know windows 7 it's really hard to take a screenshot from the screen because of the way that uh, the operating system does screenshots anymore there's a tip on how to make that work in the ninja lane forum so you can go and troll around in the overclocking section to find that tip so kind of a hot tip for hardware bot participants yeah and you know it's not it's not rocket science, and I'm sure that in some forum somewhere that I haven't read, they they have a, a thread dedicated to this. But that's just something that I've noticed when I've was just recently benching. You know, I have this monster system, but I wasn't on the map anywhere on the score, so I really need to figure out what to do. So it sounds like uh, time to take another run at Sandy Bridge. Yeah, I'm going to take another run at Sandy Bridge. I'm going to throw it back on the phase, get some more scores that way, and I might even pull out the Rampage Three Extreme again and set it up the exact same way that I had it set up before, same clocks and everything, but instead of running Windows 7, I'm going to throw Windows XP on there and see what I can do. Yeah, well, it makes sense. I know that people have complained quite a bit about the increase in the footprint, so it doesn't surprise me that they would react differently. Yeah. One, one way to get around that footprint that I found is to run it in diagnostic mode. Oh, okay. And really what that does, it's kind of like the glorified safe mode, but... Mm-hmm. It kind of it removes the arrow interface, so it uses less memory. It also disables a lot of drivers, so certain things don't work, like your network card and whatnot. It's kind of a, a quick test, a litmus test, if you will. You know, run your benchmark in regular Windows mode, and then go into diagnostic mode and see if it's actually any faster. So you're gonna pull out all the stops and do a webcast? Oh, of course. You know, the the live streams have been really popular. Not necessarily for the people that visit the Ninja Lane forums, even though I do post it that I'm going to be doing this live stream on a certain day. But the fact that the live streams are listed on the hardware bot site, depending on when I bench, you know, I'm running into guys from, from Brazil 
or guys from Europe, you know, people in, um, in the UK are waking up at around the time that I'm benching, which is dark here, obviously. It kind of makes sense that, you know, you get, you get to meet more people in the community that may or may not have ever, you know, heard about Ninja Lane or just are curious about benchmarking in general. Yeah, well, it's definitely not common to give the opportunity for folks to catch you in the middle of an overclock and ask questions about what you're doing. So definitely something to look forward to. Definitely. Darren, we all have our little diversions that keep us sane during the day. You know, of course. Long day at work, a long weekend, whatever. And one of the things that I like to do is check out the daily webcomics. You know, some of them are daily, some of them are every other day. Needless to say, there's always something new to see when you go out to the website. Yeah, I like webcomics too. Yeah, one of my favorites is one of the older comics out there, Penny Arcade. Penny Arcade has gotten huge, and it's one of my favorites also. Yeah, it, um, back, what was it, 98 was the first time that I heard of Penny Arcade, and they were doing little uh, one-cells on GameSpy. I did not know that. Yeah, that was the, my first experience seeing them. In the early days, I would print off the my favorites and hang them up in my cube, you know, as funny stuff to refer to. <laughs> Back then, it was, uh, you know, Quake 3 was out, so they did a lot of comics with the Quake 3 characters. And one of my favorites was uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors. But it was a rock, paper, rocket launcher. (laughs) But yeah, I always got a chuckle every time I saw that. Well, you know, Penny Arcade has branched out into a lot of different things, which is not only gaining more exposure, but they they do some cool stuff, like the Penny Arcade Expo, the PAX has grown. PAX East just happened not too long ago. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely something that I have been meaning to put on my list for a while to go check that out, because that's almost local. The original PAX is up in Seattle. Which, so that's just a, you know, it's a quick flight. Yeah, it's the same pond. And, of course, they do Child's Play, which is a charity that I like to support. So Penny Arcade also making their presence known in a lot of different ways. In fact, I just bought a poker game through Steam. It features Tyco. And so they're branching out into video games and just a lot of different things. Now, now this game that you downloaded, do you play against Tyco or... Is he giving you tips, or how's that work? Nope, you play against him and, and some other characters from some other online things like, uh, oh, the Heavy from Team Fortress 2. Oh, that'd be fun. Max from Sam and Max is one of the characters. A uh, reason to play, that's for sure. One of the other comics that I check out is PvP, or Player versus Player. Oh, yeah, I've seen that on occasion. Yeah, an interesting little tidbit about them is Scott Kurtz used to draw in Texas... And he became friends with the guys at Penny Arcade. Now he he made the trek all the way across the country and living in Seattle and working out of the Penny Arcade creative shop. You know, he claims to be the first webcomic in which, you know, he's been around for a long time. So I, I would happen to believe that his characters are set in a gaming office where they create a comic. Well, not a comic, a magazine called PVP. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's a bunch of editors, creative directors, and writers. And, um, you know, the characters have gone through a lot over the years. You know, it started out with a certain set of characters, and then some characters leave. And two of them actually won the lottery. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, they, they burned the... Uh, one, one of my favorite ones uh, featuring them was they broke their couch 
because these two guys, you know, they sat on a couch and they just played console games all day, right? Right. And they broke their couch and it was, you know, Viking funeral all the way. So they go and take the couch out and they're going to burn it. And he goes, all right, guys, you might want to stand back. There's 10 years of farts embedded in this thing. Oh, no. It was really funny. <laughs> we'll have to get that one back into my rotation. You know, sometimes he, he's on the ball and he has some really good stuff. And other times it's a little stagnant and, you know, kind of loses a little bit of flair and readability. But I'm going to say that he likes to do uh, story arcs, you know, and these story arcs will last for a couple of months sometimes. Oh, okay. So it really gives you a chance to come back and and read and catch up on on what you missed if you you go back every day or whatnot. Well, that's good. You know, one of my favorite sites that I know that you read also is Megatokyo. Oh, yeah, that's a great comic. Yeah, in fact, I own, I think, more merchandise from Megatokyo's website than probably all of the rest of these combined. Uh, They have uh, really some amazing T-shirts and posters and stuff out there. The T-shirts are just clever. And I know the site is one that you read also. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those sites where, you know, it's drawn in the anime uh, Magnus style. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's all anime characters, and uh, that's where he gets a lot of roots. And there's a unique thing is that it's an American drawing, you know, the Japanese lifestyle. You yeah. Know, the the two characters went to Tokyo, and they uh, got stranded. <laughs> Right. So they couldn't get back. You know, so they have to kind of blend in. You know, Pyro go gets a job and Largo gets in trouble. And it's kind of comical. It's really fun. Well, it really introduces a lot of different pieces of the classic Japanese culture. I mean, everything from giant robots to karaoke, you name it. <laughs> My favorite character is his drunk turtle. The <laughs> drunk turtle. Yeah, it's a giant turtle that comes in and terrorizes the city instead of having the big Zilla monster, but. Well, one of the, the strengths, and it's also a weakness of Megatokyo, is that it, it gets published at a lot slower pace, especially lately. And I know that that's reflected in the quality. Yeah, well, the quality has increased a lot since the very roots. You know, you can go back to some of the first posts or the first comics that he's done, and, you know, the it's still in the anime style, but it's very childish in the way that it's drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years, he's gotten a lot better. And, you know, with anime, it's one of those things where... You know, there's a certain artist that can actually draw those characters and draw them well. Oh, yeah. You know, it just takes a while to actually establish that style. And I think when he quit his day job to work on this full time, that's really when the quality improved. And, you know, he changed the way that he would draw the comic. At first, it was all hand-drawn on one sheet of paper. So he'd draw the, the, the cells and then fill the cells with his artwork and then... He went and started doing individual cells and then cropping them, kind of like if you were taking photos. And now it's actually a lot, it's digital now, and he draws the thing as one big sheet again. So, One of the things that I really like about Megatokyo is that he regularly publishes drawings in different stages of the creation process. So you can see, you know, everything from the wireframe to the coloring to the, to the finished cell. And it's kind of a, a unique uh, view into how those things are built, especially from a classical anime standpoint. Yeah. He actually started also doing a live stream on Justin TV. Oh. So when he's drawing, you can you can tune in and actually watch him create live. Um, unfortunately, I'm not around when he's doing his drawings, but I hear it's actually a good show. I'll have to check that out. What other comics do you like? 
Oh, one of my favorites, and I'm going to say favorite a lot because a, a <laughs> lot of these are my favorites, but is uh, Real Life Comics. Oh, yeah, and I like that one. That's actually one that I find myself forwarding pretty regularly. You know, he's spot on with some of his uh, humor, and other times, you know, it's a story arc, and you kind of have to get the whole thing to, to understand what's going on. But one of the reasons I like this guy so much is he is a major Pepsi fan. Oh, just, that's right. Just like myself. I think he did one comic about a Pepsi tower, which is basically taking a bunch of empty Pepsi cans and stacking them up. And he took a picture of it and posted it on his <laughs> site. And I regularly do that at the office. You know, it'll go for a week and I just, you know, get done with the cans, stick it over there. And pretty soon I'll have a little wall going. I definitely sympathize with some of the interactions that he has with his wife, too, because they mirror a lot of the conversations that I've had in real life about my gaming habits or some of the, well more nerdy things that I do that my wife uh, tolerates. <laughs> yeah, the the classic ones are when they're driving and they're they're keying on a conversation like, you know, they're they're buddy buddy and then they run into something and then all of a sudden it's an argument. <laughs> um, and you know, that's that's real life. That's how it works. And you know, I, I have to applaud him because he's doing a really great job with that. Yeah, I like that one a lot. And I know you forward those on, but you also tend to occasionally forward me stuff from little gamers that's one of those comics that you love it for a while and then all of a sudden you kind of hate it for a while but you know they're they're swedish so i kind of <laughs> have to give them a little slack for that but yeah it's a very simply drawn comic you know the the characters kind of look like little bunnies right a lot of times they're featured in front of their tv which would be we're in the tv looking at them so they're sitting on a couch with game controller and they're playing games and um mm-hmm. uh, you know, the three main characters will kind of interact every once in a while. And uh, when there's some some shit to be kicked, yeah, <laughs> out comes the ninja to go and actually beat up people. And it's actually, it's just kind of fun because they go and do some crazy stuff every once in a while. Yeah, I like that one. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit hit or miss for me. But uh, it also is one where you can just kind of take it in little bits. Unlike uh, one of my favorite sites that I know that you visit occasionally as well, which is user-friendly. Oh, yes. User-friendly. I don't go there a lot, I have to admit, but when I do, I find myself spending a couple of hours going through the archives. That's true. One of the reasons that I like user-friendly is, for me, it was the first webcomic that really seemed to have an ongoing story that was pretty constantly evolving. The characters, the uh, the way that they lived their lives was something where you could go back through and you could see the development and the relationships. I mean, not unlike maybe a soap opera, only in a much more uh, friendly, well, user-friendly way. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it uh, it is set with a bunch of technical guys in an office. Uh, you know, you got the sysadmin downstairs in the basement, and he goes and plays NetHack every once in a while, which I've been known to do. One of the things that got me to really like the comic was... In my early years of web development, we hired this intern who came into the office and he didn't really know how to code HTML from the raw source, which is, you know, back then that was how he always did it. Well, he was a front page guy and, you know, a lot of hardcore developers hated front page guys <laughs> because it was just, was never compatible and it was just kind of, you know, like arranging a web page in Word. Well, at the same time on user-friendly, they had hired an intern that was very, very similar. You know, and user-friendly, they're all Unix-based systems. And he wanted to dual boot between BOS and Windows 98, and he ended up toasting the machine. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I think his first day there, he comes in the last panel. He says, so I can't find front page on my machine. 
you know, and he was supposed to be new on my pages. So yeah, and it, that happened at around the same time, and I ended up posting some of those around my cube when I would save the comics. User friendly definitely gets a little, I don't know, techy sometimes, but it never spoils the humor. No, there's always some humor there. Well, one that I like a lot that I know that you haven't spent any time on is Sluggy Freelance, which is uh, sometimes just referred to as Sluggy. Yeah. Well, why do you like that one so much? Well, it's uh, it's kind of like user-friendly in a way that it has long character arcs. But one of the things about Sluggy that you're going to find, I think, maybe very appealing is that it takes all of the things about gamers and geeks and and that type of behavior sort of to extremes so you're you have everything from violent ferrets with switchblades to to giant robots to i mean just all of that sort of cultural mishmash but it does it also in long character story arcs that are chapters or books that you can go back in and you can catch back up in little bite-sized pieces nice so that's kind of nice to give you the opportunity to go back and and read character arcs that will actually back reference each other and characters from older story arcs will return. So it gives it kind of some longevity and it's really building kind of a huge fan base. So I'd encourage you to check that one out too. Well, I mean, he kind of sold me on the ferret with a switchblade. <laughs> it's hard to pass up a ferret with a switchblade. Yeah. And that's actually probably the first place that I caught the ferret shiny reference that seems to be making the rounds. <laughs> so either I'm behind or they're ahead of the curve, but definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Well... As you can imagine, there's tons of web comics out there, and these are just a few that we go and visit every once in a while. Of course. Yeah. We'll uh, definitely post the links to these in the show notes so you can check them out. And, you know, if you have some favorites that we might not have missed, send us an email. Yep. We'd love to see them. For more information on the topics in this podcast, please consult our show notes. And if you have questions on anything that we did discuss, please drop by the forums at forums.ninjalane.com. You can follow Ninja Lane on Twitter and Facebook, or subscribe to our RSS feed. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2011. Thanks for joining.